Great. Thank you for singing. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Zechariah, please. Chapter 1. Zechariah, chapter 1. As we look at our text this evening, my desire is to look at the first vision of Zechariah. So quickly, just to give a quick recap, we're living in the days right now of Zechariah, 520 B.C., and about 50,000, 43,000 plus servants came out of Babylon after 70 years of captivity. And God made it clear in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 2, that he was very angry with the fathers. With, with those who went into captivity in Babylon, God was very angry because they had refused to listen and to heed God's word. There is a woe to the church age if we refuse to listen and to hear God's word. For the church age, God's word is permanent. It is inescapable. It really is. So we learned this morning that God judges sin. He was very angry with the nation of Israel. They had rejected for 490 years the land Sabbath. God wanted his 70 years back, and so he takes them out of the land for 70 years. But in Lamentations chapter 2, don't forget, read the book of Lamentations. You will find some of the greatest sorrow and pain and weeping as you picture God's glorious city that he chose he chose this city, and then he allows the enemy to ransack it, to kill the mighty men and the virgins and, and the moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and haul many off to captivity. And then the city, the temple is burned. The gates are, are broken down. The iron thresholds were broken. Literally, the entire city was burned to a crisp. Jeremiah looked out over Jerusalem, and he thought, God is angry with sin. But there's a promise that there would be a return, and the city would be rebuilt, and the Messiah will come to the city, because it is God's city. And he is going to sit on a temp in, in the temple on a throne in Jerusalem. It's remarkable. So remember Zechariah chapter 1. This young, this young man, the grandson of Edo, he preaches and says, God has been very angry with your fathers, but thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, and I will return to you. Then God said, do not be like your fathers in the past, that when they had prophets that rose up early and, and stayed all the time proclaiming the word, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, all these men of God preaching, your fathers would not listen. Therefore, God had no choice. Then he asked a couple of questions. Where are your fathers? And they would all think, well, our fathers have died and they're buried in the ground. Some in Babylon, some along the way, some here. Because you know what? All mortal man is flesh, and we are like the grass. We rise up and we die. We might get 60, 70, 80, 90, even 100 years on earth, but we're flesh. We're mortal. We're going to die. So Zechariah calls out, hey, where are the fathers? God does, actually. The answer, they're in their graves. Where are the prophets who spoke to you? Hmm, they're in their grave, too. Isaiah, most likely son in half. Jeremiah died. They, the prophets are dead. But guess what? Though man will die and the prophets will die, God's word will not die. It is inescapable. It will overtake us like it overtook the fathers. So how do we respond to the word? That was the big challenge this morning. The people heard Zechariah's message, and they returned to the Lord. They wanted to live in agreement with God's word. And that's what we, I want you to commit to 2018. To this year, you will commit 
to living in agreement with God's word. Whatever God's word says, you will do. Your attitude will reflect the scripture. All right? Attitude is huge in ministry, in a church family. Attitude has got to line up with the scriptures. Our behavior has got to line up. Um, everything, our, our appetites, everything has to line up to Christ. You all agree? He is the perfect standard. He is the perfect one. So now let's look. So months later, three months later now it is, Zechariah has preached his first message of six verses, and the people have responded, and they're going to great, great effort to build this temple. And Zechariah gets eight visions in one night. And you know, I want to know what's interesting if, when you study, and I, I really pray you'll study these eight visions out. When you study these eight visions, he receives them all, all in one night. He gets one, and then a short time later, he gets another one. And then, I mean, he, he didn't sleep all night. How could he? He's got an angel in his dreams, and he's walking through Myrtle Valleys and all these things. And then he's partaking of all sorts of things. And so what we're going to spend many weeks on for Zechariah took place in one night. But can you imagine the next day when he gathered the pe people together and said, Listen, everyone, God has spoken to me and revealed to me in, dream in dreams these eight truths. Now, the eight truths all they have something in common. There was always, there's something very common that Israel knew about the dream. Like every, every one of the eight visions, Israel could say, yeah, we already know about that. But then God throws in a, a, an extra thing for hope that the nation Israel would say, oh, I didn't realize that. Okay? So tonight, you're going to find that Israel is identified as a myrtle tree. Myrtle trees are, they're lowly. They're humble trees. They're not like giant oaks or cedars of Lebanon that stand strong and mighty and have roots deep in the ground. A myrtle tree, actually the, 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 the name myrtle is Hadassah. And what is Hadassah's uh, other name? Esther, Queen Esther, kind of interesting. But the myrtle is an evergreen tree. It's just evergreen. And it's a lowly, lowly tree from the Persia, Assyria area um, by nature, but then it was planted into the, the land of Israel. All right, so Israel knows they're myrtle trees, and they're in a valley. Now, remember, these visions are meant, not that every little detail has to tell us something, but the whole thing that we want to get is, hmm, what is God telling the people of Israel, and how is he giving them hope for their future? And that's what it's all about. All right, so you're with me? So they know, Zechariah, we know we're myrtle trees in a valley. You know what a valley is? A valley is a, a place of depression. It's a place of discouragement and weakness. They knew that. They're like, Zechariah, we didn't need to be told that we're a tiny little nation. We have Zerubbabel as our governor, and he has no experience. We have no military. We have no infrastructure. We have no treasury. We have no gold. We have no weapons. We have no army. As a matter of fact, we can hardly plow our own fields. We, we're going to not get any, any crops. We're, we're, we're pathetic. We're poor. We're weak. We're nobodies. And all around us are gigantic kingdoms. You've got gigantic kingdoms tottering right on the borders of Israel. And here the little group of 50,000 are so weak and humbled. So God is going to give them this vision to strengthen them in the work. And I want to tell you, we can take this and apply it in a secondary sense to the church. So that's my goal. And I've only got about 15 minutes to do it. So let's look. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, this is February now, in the year 519 B.C., February, 
On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo the prophet. He says in verse 8, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow, and behind him were horses, red, sorrel, and white. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? So the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they answered the Lord, the, so they answered the angel of the Lord, that's critical. So they answered the angel of the Lord. That reference, by the way, is typically the pre-incarnate Christ. It is God, it is Jesus Christ making an appearance in the Old Testament for a purpose. So I do believe that the man riding the red horse is Jesus Christ before he came as a babe in Bethlehem. He is God appearing in flesh for a time and purpose in the Old Testament. So they answered the angel of the Lord who stood among the myrtle trees and said, we have walked to and fro throughout the earth and behold, all the earth is resting quietly. All right, let's go back to verse 8 quickly. Zechariah, it says in verse 8, he saw by night. So it, whatever vision he is now getting about the, the man riding the red horse in the myrtle trees, it's dark. He saw it by night. Now, for us, no problem. We've got lights with the fl flick of a switch. You turn your car on, you've got headlights, you've got street lights, you've got stoplights. We've got lights, lights, lights all over. But in this time in Zechariah's life, you're in a you're in a valley of myrtle trees, you don't have light. And yet somehow he sees this mysterious rider on a red horse. I think there was some supernatural glow about it. Riding a red horse, a man coming into this myrtle valley as he's been thinking and meditating and praying, asking God, hey, what's going to happen with our nation Israel? How are we going to have victory? How are we going to have protection and security? We have nothing, we are nothing. And here comes a mysterious rider on a red horse who happens to be the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. And it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow alongside the deep. All right, now this word hollow is also the word used for deep. Like Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. It's also used for Exodus. The deep, God parted the deep, the Red Sea, and let the people go through. So it seems like the hollow or the deep is... If you were to even think about it farther, it's almost like we need God's protection because of the mysteriousness or even the, you know what? For the ancients, the scariest thing was the ocean. They had no idea what was underneath it. They had no idea how big it was. It just, there was great fear for them. So the deep, the hollow, this water by the myrtle trees in the valley would bring about a lot of fear, all right? So here you have, the nation Israel in great fear about what's going to happen to their future. Are they going to be able to build the temple? Are they going to be able to um, fend off the tax of enemy nations? Are they going to get over the hostility of the Samaritans? You know, so they have a lot of fears. They think they're going to be vanquished. So he, they already know that. But here's what they don't know. They don't know that God himself is in their presence. The man riding the red horse is in the midst of the myrtle trees. So Zechariah, the next day, must have gathered the people and said, everyone, the Lord your God is in our midst. He is in our midst. He's with us now. You can't see him, but last night God opened my eyes and I could see the heavenly horses 
and the heavenly army of angels and the commander-in-chief, the Lord himself. Okay, remember when the Syrians were attacking Israel? And every move that the king, of, the king of Syria made, Israel's king was able to determine that move and have, um, and have it ready so that Syria couldn't attack. And, and the king of Syria was just alarmed. He's like, who is betraying me? Who in my cabinet is betraying me to the Israelites? Because whenever I make a decision, um, they know, the Israelites already know what I'm going to do. Who is telling them? And one of the servants of the king said, no one is betraying you. There is a prophet in Israel named Elisha. And Elisha is telling the king of Israel what you're going to do. So now the king of Syria is very mad. What's he going to do? He's going to go and kill Elisha, the prophet. Get him out of the picture. So they go to Dothan, and, and the Syrian army comes by night. So they're going through the night woods and the valleys. They get to the village. They surround the whole village with their physical military might. And Elijah gets up, looks out, and he's not concerned. Why is he not concerned? I would be, I would be looking for a place to hide. I'd be, like, getting a broomstick. I mean, how do you defend yourself against the whole Syrian army? Even Elijah's servant, servant is in a great panic. So what does Elijah do? He prays to God and says, God, open the eyes of my servant that he might see your armies in might. And what does the servant see instantly? His eyes are given some spiritual sight, and he sees fiery horses and chariots surrounding the whole area. Greater is God's army than the Syrian army, right? Boy, I bet the servant said, all right, Elijah, you win. Let's go eat breakfast. We're good now. I'm good. Now, doesn't it help to know that the Lord is in your presence, that he's just not unaware or unconcerned? And this is going to be a big boost to Israel. So Israel is being told, your God is riding a red horse. He's got patrols of angels that have gone out searching over the whole world. They know the world scene. They know every country, and all these nations are at rest. There's no wars. There's no battles. Darius, who is the king now of the, of the region of Persia, has conquered in a short time the entire world. The whole world was at a peace. All right, that should help them. So that's the, that's the vision. Now look at verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, because the patrols came and said, Lord, all of the nations are at ease. They're all resting quietly. What's next? Here's what the Lord does, verse 12. O Lord of hosts. So Jesus Christ cries out to his father in the Myrtle Valley. He cries out, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which you were angry these 70 years? Do you know what he's doing? The man on the red horse is interceding. Not only is God in the presence of Israel, but, but the, their God is interceding on their behalf, saying, Father, Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy? When will you open up your gates of mercy and pour it on this little remnant of, of, uh, of children of yours? Oh, I love it. Hey, we're going to talk about how that affects the church in just a minute. Verse 13. And the Lord answered the angel who talked to me, because God the Father spoke to God the Son, and now God the Son speaks to the angel who's with Zechariah. Are you with me? And it says, verse 13, the Lord answered the angel who talked with me with good and comforting words. All right, so we're going to learn what these good and comforting words are. It's basically this. 
there will be a full establishment of Israel. Jerusalem will be the crown jewel, and the king, God himself, will dwell in their midst. He will be their God, and they will be his people. That's the full establishment of the blessing. So these are kind and goodly, comforting words for the people. Verse 14. So the angel who spoke with me said to me, Proclaim, preach this out to the people. Say, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. Huh. Okay. Are you with me? The nation is afraid. They're going to die. They're surrounded by enemies. They can't do the work. It's too hard. They're discouraged. Ministry is hard. Life is hard. Families are hard. But God is in their midst. And God the Father gives a message to God the Son, who gives it to an angel, who gives it to Zechariah. And here's his message. I am zealous for you. I have a burning passion for you. And I have, then he, then he parallels himself. And for Zion, which is Jerusalem, I have a deep abiding passion. Do you know that God is passionate for you right now? As Jesus Christ is seated on the throne, he would look down on our little church, which has little power and little resources, and he would say, I am zealous for Faith Baptist Church. I am passionate for the believers who gather together faithfully to hear my word and to praise my name. Do you know that? Like there's a burning fire in the Son of God for the church that he died for. That's how much love he has for you. I mean, that should like warm your heart. That should make you smile that you have such a loving God. Then he says in verse 15, I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease. Why? Because they were sitting quietly. They were, they had been used to discipline Israel, but they went too far. And then they never went to help Israel back. So God is angry with them, for I was a little angry. And they helped. What did they help with? They helped chasten Israel, but they went too far. So he says they helped, but with evil intent. God wanted to use Assyria to punish the nation, but Assyria went way too far with it. They were wicked, right? God wanted Babylon to chasten his people, but they went overboard. Because Satan just has wanted to exterminate the Jews, God wanted to chasten them. So now God's going to punish all those other nations. Oh, what a comfort. Israel is the apple of God's eye. Oh, it, look at how he says it. He says in verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. But literally in the Hebrew, plural, with mercies. Many mercies upon mercies upon you. Okay, so what do we know? Israel knows that they're a, hurting, they're a hurting remnant people. They have no money, no infrastructure, no army. They have really no experience. They could easily be squashed out by any mighty, any neighboring country could squash them to nothing. They know they have to build this temple for God's glory, but the work is hard. They have no resources. They have no money. The crops are failing on and I mean, they're just, they're having a tough time. But Zechariah says, God is in your midst. Not only that, but your God in your midst is interceding for you all the time. And the father comes back with a report that he's zealous for you and passionate for you. And all the nations who have hurt you, he's going to punish. He's going to punish all of those nations who have hurt you. And then in verse 16, he also says, I am coming back to Jerusalem. Now, would that get you going? If, if you had to go to Jerusalem and build the city back up and build the temple, and then God said, do it, because I'm going to show up there. I mean, you would, you'd be like, absolutely. If, if the God of the universe is coming to show up to our city, 
we're going to be there and we're going to do our work. All right? I am returning to Jerusalem with mercies, many mercies. My house shall be built in it. Remember, right now it's just a foundation, charred rubble all around. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. You know what a surveyor's line is? It's to, it's to um, renovate the whole city. It's to rebuild the whole city. The promise is God's city is going to be rebuilt and the temple will be built again through the hands of the people that he's talking to. And again, here's the last verse. Proclaim saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities shall again spread out through prosperity. Remember that in every little village in Judah, there's maybe 100 people, 127 people. Um, I, as I read through Ezra, as I read through Ezra, and I look at all the names and details of who lived and where and what village, the numbers are scanty. But God says, I'm going to make Jude, all the villages of Judah prosperous and large again. The Lord will comfort Zion again and will again choose Jerusalem. I think it's this. I will cho- God is going to choose acts of kindness to Jerusalem because that's what he, he loves Jerusalem. And because he loves it, he's going to come back to it with many mercies. He's going to prosper it and bless it. And he's going to choose kindness for, for Jerusalem. Wow, what a God. So he's a God that deals with sin, but he's also a God with mercy upon mercy upon mercy. So let's apply that to the church quickly. According to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 2 says, when we gather together in corporate worship, you've heard me say this before, it's also in Isaiah 8. So you could go to Isaiah 8 or you could go to Hebrews 2. It says the same thing. It's a quote. I want you to know, when you gather together as a body like this, it is just not because you have nothing else to do with your life. <coughs> when you gather together, something unique happens. In Hebrews 2, Jesus Christ is standing in our midst. Although we don't see him, if God took a veil off of our eyes and gave us some spiritual insight, I believe we would see the Son of God standing in our midst right here with heavenly hosts of angels. Because in Hebrews 2, he is standing in the midst of the assembly. Let me read it to you, just so you see that I'm not kidding. Listen to this. Hebrews. Chapter 2. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, Jesus is the one who sanctifies, and this is verse 11, and those who are being sanctified are all of one. There's unity between us and our Savior. For which reason, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So Jesus is not ashamed to call you and I his brothers and sisters. Wow. He's always God, and he's fully God, but he yet would call us his brothers and sisters because he's fully flesh, fully human. Here's what he said, verse 12. I will declare your name, Father, to my brethren, that's you and I, in the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. So when we're assembled like this, Jesus Christ is in our midst, and he's singing to God the Father with us. In Isaiah, Isaiah says it this way. Isaiah has two, chil- two children, Shir Yazub, and then Mahal Habel Hashbez. I can't even say those two names. A and B. He has two sons. And Isaiah says, Isaiah approaches the Lord because nobody else will serve the Lord during these dark days of Israel. So Isaiah stands up. He grabs the, two of son- the hands of his two sons and says, 
Lord, here am I and my two sons with me. We'll do whatever you want. I love it. So Jesus is in our midst, and it's like he's, here's what he says. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. So Jesus is right now in our midst, singing praise to the Father, and it's like he has our own hands, and he's saying, Father, here we are, and here I am and my children with me. We'll do whatever you want, Father. And then he wants us to go out and do whatever he wants. What does he want us to do? Reach the lost, build up the church, pray, fellowship, um, all of those things. Do you believe that Jesus is in our midst? I, I do. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says the local church is a unique dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. When you leave, as soon as the service is over and we all go to our own homes, the Holy Spirit is still everywhere at once. He's omnipresent. But he's here differently. 1 Corinthians 3 and Ephesians 2. So God is in the midst of the church. What does it say in the book of Revelation? There's a vision of seven lampstands, and who's walking in the midst of the lampstands? Jesus is in the midst of the lampstands, which is the church. And then in the Laodicean church, where do you find Jesus? Revelation chapter 3. In the Laodicean church, Jesus is outside the church, knocking to be let in. Can you believe it? A church of believers who are so caught up with the world that the Lord isn't even in their assembly. How many people have gathered in churches today, January 7th, 2018, and the Lord Jesus is not even in the midst of the assembly. He's outside saying, boy, I wish I could get in. But they won't receive me. They don't hear my word. They don't want my fellowship. They won't sing praise to my father. They're too busy doing their own thing. Tragic, but that, that happens. All right? Now, Romans 8, we have our, our Savior interceding to the Father on our behalf. Just like the, the horse rider of the red horse, the angel of the Lord is interceding on behalf of Israel. Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and this people? They've been in captiv captivity 70 years. Let them go. Give them some blessing. Do you know right now, today, I bet God the Son, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceded on our behalf many times. Can you imagine that God the Son would turn over to the God the Father and say, Father, let's do something for the Johnsons. Let's pour out, you know, blessings, you know. They're, they're going through some things and Tom's health. And I bet God the Son said, Father, what should we do? What can we, you know? Oh, just to know that we have a Savior who intercedes on our behalf. So do you see how important this church is? God loves the church. Acts chapter 20 says that Jesus Christ died for the church. He, he paid for this church with his own blood. Do you think he values this church? He is zealous for Jerusalem, definitely, and he's zealous for, for Israel, but the Bible makes it clear he is zealous for the church because he paid for this church with his own blood. Does he care what's going on around here? You bet he does. He, you, you can bet he does. And... This could be a church of believers who will be caught up in the rapture to be with the Lord forever. Can you imagine that we who are here alive could very well be raptured as a church at his coming for us? It's pretty exciting. We might not all be dead. We might, some of us might be alive that are in this room when the Lord returns for his church. What a glorious thing. All right? He loves the church. This is the church age. 
So prepare yourself for worship. Here are some applications. When you come to worship, well, come eager and excited and, and, and be here because just the easiest thing you can do is just be here, but be with hearts prepared, like eager of, Lord, what will you teach me today? How will I hear your voice? How can I apply truth to my life that the devil will not have any foothold? Um, so we prepare ourselves for worship, right? We are like God the Son's children, and he's holding our hands, saying to the Father, Father, here I am in the children. What will, you, what will we do for you this week? And then Jesus Christ is going to send us out of here in about 15 minutes to go our own way to, to serve on his behalf. We're going to share the gospel with people tomorrow or maybe the next day. We'll come back and encourage the church in prayer on Wednesday. We'll have opportunities to minister to one another, exercise our serving gifts or speaking gifts. I mean, there's a plethora of ways that we'll serve the Lord this week as his ambassadors, right? So isn't this is, it's such a great thing. So we should have such hope and encouragement. We really should. And I think when Israel heard this first vision, they're like, God is in our midst, and he's interceding for us, and he's got his angelic, this, these fiery angelic horses patrolling the earth on our behalf. We're safe. We're secure. Nobody can touch us if our God's like that. So just know, this is God's church. He is building this church. He will take care of it all the way. We have to trust him, all right? What an encouraging message. So what did they know? They knew they were in a depressed place. They knew they were myrtle trees in a hollow. What they didn't know was God is in our midst, and he is passionate for us. And they, in turn, responded with passion. So you are loved by God, and he is passionate for this church. So let's respond to him this week in that manner. Father, thank you for this text of the first vision of Zechariah. And I know it brought encouragement and comfort to the Israelites, as they went about building a temple for your glory, we, we live in a different age. We are the church age. And we also know that Jesus Christ is in our midst, according to Hebrews chapter 2. We know that the Holy Spirit, this is a special dwelling place. We also know in 1 Peter 2 that we are a living temple, but we are living stones in a temple that you are building. All of these pictures remind us that you are passionate for this church. And we... Are, are, we are needed and we are value in the local church. So I pray that Jesus Christ will send us out of this building tonight renewed and excited and passionate about what we've been called to do. This week we'll have encounters and conversations with people about the gospel. We'll be able to encourage brothers and sisters who are hurting or discouraged in our own church. We can look forward to this wild game feast. Uh, there's so many things you have out, set out for us. And tonight... We've been reminded you are a God who is passionately in love with us and you care for us. And it, you are building this church and we trust you for the way you're doing it. Thank you again for Zachariah's faithfulness to proclaim these messages and thank you for the Holy Spirit recording these words so we can learn something about our Savior and his love for his people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.